Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, today is Lag Omer, and that's one of the biggest days, spiritually speaking, of the entire year. Um, a lot of things happen today. Uh, the, the most sort of celebrated event, although there are a few, is that this is the, the Yurtzeit, um, the anniversary of the death, or of the, the passing from this world to the next, of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. And he, of course, is the author of the Zohar, which is the main book of the, of, of the Kabbalah, which is the, 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 the mystical depths of the Torah, of the universe. And so, so we, celebrate, we celebrate his life today. And it's always good to note um, that uh, from the Torah perspective, um, when it comes to very great people, we celebrate the day that they left this world, um, not the day that they were born. You know, we're, we're so used to celebrating in, in sort of Western culture uh, people's birthdays because we're so glad they entered into the world. That's the idea. That's their birthday. Wow, they entered into the world. But you know, when, when we enter into the world, all we are is potential. When we leave the world, then we're accomplishment. And so what we, what we emphasize in our tradition is accomplishment, not potential. And um, this is something that you can wrestle over your entire life. In fact, we're supposed to wrestle over this our entire lives. Because the question is, you see, there, there is a competition going on in this world. But people misdirect that, that philosophy and they misdirect that energy. They think that the competition is between me and you, or you and your neighbor, you and your friend. And that's, that's not really the truth. The, the real competition that's going on is between you and your own potential. And then that very much is a competition because you, 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 want, to, you want to achieve that, whatever that is. Whatever God's dream for you is, when he, when he imagined you, when he put you into this world, then that's, that's what you want for yourself, definitely. You know, it says, we have a concept of, we call it Gehenim. It's, it's, it, it would be translated as hell, but it's not the hell that, that's spoken about in, in, in other religions. Basically, it's, it's something that, if you think about it, actually makes a lot of sense. And, and the, the sort of the cartography of it, the, the geography of it, heavenly speaking, is we have Earth is on the bottom, and then we have this, this dimension called Gehenim, or hell, but I'm going to call it Gehenim because hell is a misnomer. It's not, it's not hell. Um, so you have Earth on the bottom, then you have Gehenim, and then you have heaven, Shemaim. And the idea is that all souls pass through Gehenim on the way to heaven. And the idea is that that's a purification that every soul goes through on the way up. And it's just a question of how much time we spend there. So some people will spend longer, some people will spend shorter, depending on how right they got it in this world. And that's a very, I think, a very intuitive thing. Like, like the, the, I like it because it's so different from what we're all raised with, with this notion that you've got earth in the middle and hell is on the bottom, like someone is being cast aside or something like that. No one's being cast aside. You know, we, one of the core teachings of Torah is that the righteous of all the nations have a share in the world to come. The righteous of all the nations. And how could it be otherwise? Because we're all God's children. How could it be otherwise? Right? But, but nonetheless, we're trying to and by the way, if you want to see that inside the Gomorrah, because this is new information for a lot of people, even people who've been studying Torah for a long time, that sort of 
the fact that the Gehenim is above the earth. And if you want to see that inside with your own eyes, it's at the end of Gomorrah Tamid. It's one of the very last teachings in Gomorrah Tamid. And you'll see it says, Gehenim is above the Rakia. You'll see it right there with your own eyes. Okay. So, so the idea is that after one's life in this world, that's when the full measure of what they've been able to accomplish becomes manifest. And that's what we celebrate. And that's what we celebrate. So Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, one of the greatest, 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 greatest souls ever to bless the world, revealed the deepest depths of the Torah. And, um, and we make bonfires. We make bonfires today um, to celebrate that. So all over the world, there are these giant fires. And I heard a beautiful Torah yesterday from a, a visiting rabbi. I, I don't know his name, otherwise I would quote him. Um, but from the, the stolen line, he's a, 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 an edical of the uh, stolen Rebbe. And he said, um, he said something very beautiful. This was his uh, explanation. He said, why is it that we have bonfires? Why do we make bonfires for, in the, in the uh, celebration of the life of Rebbe Shemin Bar Yochai? So, so he said that, he, he quoted a Ramah, and, and the idea was that, um, you know, the Torah is compared to a light, and, and, and a bonfire produces a great light, and so that's the idea. So he said, you know, I want to say something a little bit more than that. Like, that's very intuitive. It's like, you know, it makes perfect sense and everything like that. It's beautiful. But, um, but you know, it's even more than that. So he quotes a teaching. He quotes a teaching from, from, uh, from the Gomorrah that, that talks about a whole, you know, one of these... One of these turning points in the whole history of the world, you know, instead of just sort of glancingly alluding to it, maybe I'll just tell you the actual story, but I'll try to tell it quickly. You know, you have one of the mysterious events. You see, the lineage of Mashiach. What's the whole idea of Mashiach? Mashiach is, that's the Messiah. That's a Jewish concept, by the way. Any other religion who has a concept of the Messiah it started with Judaism. It's a totally Jewish thought. You know, other, other, other traditions have, uh, have, have borrowed it, let's say. You know, but it's, it's, it's a core Jewish thought. You know, I'll just tell you uh, just a quick story. Reb Shlomo, Reb Shlomo Karlovach would go to different places where, where Jews had sort of like kind of, um, kind of wandered from their Judaism and he would go into like ashrams, among other places, and he would play and, and his, uh, his hope was to go and to, uh, to inspire the Jews that were there uh, to return to their Judaism. And one time he was playing at an ashram and the Swami kind of turned to him and got like very sort of angry at him and he says, he says, I know what you're doing. He says, you're trying to steal my followers. And Rip Shlomo said, no, 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 I'm just borrowing them back. So, <laughs> so anyway, the idea is that, uh, that, that Mashiach, Mashiach, this is a Jewish concept, you know? And the lineage of Mashiach, how Mashiach enters into the world, is a very amazing thing. Because it's, you would think that, okay, well, if this is the Messiah, my goodness, it's going to have to descend from, like, only the holiest, most righteous people that have ever lived. And that will be the direct line. And in certain, in certain lines of, of Mashiach, in terms of lineage, that is true. But in other lines of Mashiach, you have all sorts of crazy couplings going on. Like really, like very surprising couplings going on. 
One of them is from Yehuda and Tamar. So how does this work? So, so without telling the entire story, let me just kind of cut to the chase, as it were. So, so Tamar disguised herself as a prostitute and sat at a crossroads, and her face was covered, and Yehuda didn't know it was Tamar. And something came over Yehuda, like this was not like his normal like, like way of conducting himself, but he just was like, okay, that's, that's what I need to be doing right now. So he goes and he's with Tamar. Okay? Now, interestingly, what's going to come from this coupling is one of the messianic lines. Right? This is very surprising, actually. But I'm telling you this point to, to make another point about not embarrassing someone. Okay? That's, that's what we're getting to. But I want to make a side point, which is that the Torah goes out of its way. Whenever the Torah gives any detail whatsoever, the Torah is telling you something very, very, very deep. So we know that this encounter that's about to take place between one of the prince of the tribes who, who represents the royal lineage of the Jewish people, Yehuda, it's like, like, you know, like King David. What's King David? King David is someone who descended from Yehuda, right? So Yehuda is like, Yehuda is huge. He's like, you know, planetary and, you know, in terms of scope. So Yehuda is like drawn to this woman sitting at a crossroads. Why does the Torah tell you that she's at a crossroads? Destiny. Which direction? But yes, so it's giving us a choice between directions. But, but what is it referring to? So I want to say the following. The prophet Isaiah, Yeshaya, talks about how the, the, when we talk about Mashiach, I, I always like to mention this point because I think that you can't understand Judaism properly without understanding this point. We believe very, 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 very deeply in evolution. But in the deepest form of evolution, you know, let's put Darwin aside for a moment. Maybe God created the world from, or created man from a single cell and evolved him into, you know, a whole person. Or maybe God created people entirely outright. Obviously, if God is God, he can do either. So, so the real question is not, how did he do it? But why did he do it? <laughs> right? Why did he create us? This is the question. But in terms of evolution, we believe that the world is evolving toward perfection. That this is actually happening. Okay? That we're heading toward an era where there won't be any war or hatred or prejudice or hunger or anything like this. We call this the messianic period. Okay? And you know, when people get caught up with the idea of Messiah, it's a, it's, it's a bit of a shame because, because even though the Mashiach is this exalted figure, although he'll be born from a man and a woman, he's a normal human being, right? But he'll be God's point man in terms of ushering in the next era. The real headline is the era that we're being ushered into, not the figure or the individual. So by referring to that next evolution of humanity, of life, as, as Mashiach, and giving it the name of an individual, it's, 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 it's a bit... It, it's, it's, it's not good. <laughs> you know, that's, what, that's just the lingo that caught on. But we're, we're, so to speak, in journalistic terms, we're bearing the lead. 
The lead is what's going to happen to the world. That, that's the lead. Okay? So, so, so getting back to this prophecy from, from, from Isaiah, from Yeshaya, he says that it will come Ahishena um, Bi'ito. Uh, so that means it will come quickly in its time, meaning this, this, this exalted period. So that's a contradiction in terms. What does it mean? It's going to come quickly in its time. In its time means that there's an appointed time. Coming quickly means it coming before its appointed time. So which is it? Is it coming before its appointed time or is it coming in its time? So the answer is that depends on us. We have the ability through our deeds to bring it earlier. If it doesn't, then there's this cutoff period where it's going to happen no matter what. Okay? So that's what I would like to suggest is that crossroads that the mother of Mashiach, who's described, who's disguised at that moment, right? She's disguised, her face is covered. So in other words, her identity is hidden. We know that she's the mother of Mashiach, right? But her identity is hidden, meaning to say, how is it going to come? Here it is at the crossroads. Is it going to come early because we merited it? Or is it going to come in its time, which is a much more apocalyptic, catastrophic scenario, right? But nonetheless ushers the great, the, the, the great period of peace. See, that's another point that I just always think it's important to make. When we talk about the apocalypse, first of all, it doesn't have to happen. We have a rule um, in Torah that all of the negative prophecies don't have to happen. And all of the positive prophecies do have to happen. The negative prophecies are there as warnings to us that if we don't get it together, that's, what it's, that's how it's going to roll out. But they're not, they're not ordained at all. Okay, The good stuff is ordained. It's absolutely ordained. So, so again, here you have the mother of the Messiah sitting at the crossroads disguised because which way is it going to happen, right? Because we merited it, because we didn't merit it, right? So the whole idea, just to finish that point about the apocalypse, is that that's just, like I always like to quote, like cop shows. We can do this the hard way or we can do this the easy way, right? If we do it the hard way, it's the hard way to what? The era of peace. In other words, we're still getting to the era of peace, but the idea when you hear the word like apocalypse, like basically your brain explodes and you collapse and it's like you don't have any room to like hear any more information. Like it's going to get better, right? But, but nonetheless, even that, the worst form of, of getting there is just a way of getting to a great place. So that's just a way to contextualize it. That's just an, an important overview. Okay, so, so again, we're trying to explain the bonfires. And I was just trying to give you some background on one of the ways Mashiach enters into the world. So it's with this coupling of Yehuda and Tamar. So now, now, now what happens? Uh, Yehuda, he, he, he says to her, what is your payment? And, and she says, it's, you know, she mentions what the payment is. And he doesn't have the payment at that moment. He says, but I'm going to give you my signet I'm going to get, and my staff. Which, which I also heard was his talisman to Philin, by the way, right? So he gives her something that's very personal that just belongs to him. And then cut to some time later, all of a sudden she was a member of his household 
And all of a sudden she's pregnant. And, you know, they were like, hey, you know, she's like consorting. Like she's like, you know, not like whatever it is. Like that wasn't the behavior of, of the community at that, at that time. So they bring her before Yehuda. And remember, she knows that Yehuda is the father of the child. And Yehuda is the head of the court at that moment. Right? So you can imagine, like, they're bringing charges against this woman for not behaving properly. And meanwhile, here is the judge who is the one who, who impregnated her. So what's, what's going to happen? Like, for him to admit it, like, he loses all of his credibility and his status, seemingly. You know, but then again, an innocent woman, like, would suffer, God forbid, so what's going to happen? So what does she say? Because the, you know, the, 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 the penalty was basically to be thrown into flames or something like this. So, or executed in some way, whatever it is. It was a capital offense. So she doesn't say, you did it. She doesn't say that, which is an amazing thing. Because I probably would have said that. <laughs> like, you know, don't look at me, it was you. Right? So what does she do? She says... The one who fathered my child, right? The, these are his items. These are his personal items because she held on to his staff and his, his signet. Because when Yehuda came back to pay her the proper payment, she was gone. She had disappeared. So she had his personal belongings. She had his, like, basically she had his photo ID. She had his driver's license, right? So she says, the one who fathered the child, these are his items, right? And then Yehuda goes, I'm the father, I'm the father. And this amazing moment, this amazing moment, actually that becomes, that child becomes the messianic line, right? Because he, he basically, like, threw everything away. His whole status, his whole reputation was willing to publicly embarrass himself, right? To save her life. She didn't want to embarrass him at all. So as to avoid embarrassing him publicly, she did it in this cryptic way, which allowed him to deny it, which means that she was risking her own life. She could have died if he wasn't on the level. So, so now with this in mind, now you know the story. This rabbi was saying yesterday that maybe we make bonfires on Lagba Omer, right? Because one more detail that we have to hear and then this whole teaching will come together. Lagba Omer is the day that all of the students of Rabbi Akiva the plague ended and they stopped dying. 24,000 people died during this plague. And the Gemara says, why, why was there this plague among the students of Rabbi Akiva? And they said, because they didn't give proper respect to each other. They, you know, you see, there's something that's very, very hard to do, which is when you disagree with someone that you don't make it personal. This is a very hard to do to keep it on the idea level. Because what happens so much, and one of the reasons why the world is in such t- 
turmoil and such trouble is that if you don't agree with me, I hate you. Why? What are you hating me for? You, you, so, so I have an opinion that you don't like. So disagree with my opinion. What, what do you have to make it personal for? What do you have to hate me for? And, and this is one of the hardest things to do because when you make it personal, when you cross the line and make it about the person themselves, then that's, that's bad. It's, it's just, it just, it, it causes a lot of trouble. It causes a lot of, it causes a lot of darkness in the world. So, so what happened was the students of Rabbi Akiva, who were like the greatest minds of the age, were debating Torah concepts and halacha all of the time. But somehow they made it personal. The disagreements. Instead of just keeping it in the realm of ideas, you know? And... Uh, and so they say a plague happened and basically wiped out that generation of Torah scholars. What's, what's so instructive about that for us is it tells you that when one learns Torah, if one wants to be serious about Torah, it's they're not ideas. They're not ideas. It's something that has to be integrated into your entire life, into your consciousness, in terms, in terms of the way you conduct yourself with other people. It has to be. It has to be. Because, you see, there's, there's a famous Gomorrah where the sages of Israel would debate the philosophers of Athens. All right? So, you know, when you think about Greek philosophy, we're talking about, wow, Greek philosophy, that's like, the heights of, you know, secular wisdom, right? So, so wouldn't it be interesting if the sages of the Gomorrah actually debated the Greek philosophers? Wouldn't that be interesting? And it happened. <laughs> and they record a lot of their meetings in the Talmud. And they had one particular meeting, and they were eating and drinking because, you know, I guess, you know, there was a, there was a social aspect to it, you know? Like any conference, you know, you're going to have some food and what whatnot. And two of the Greek philosophers get into a fight with each other, and one of them murders the other one at the conference, on the spot. And like the sages were like, what are you doing? You guys are philosophers. And listen to the answer they give back. The person said, when we're philosophizing, we're philosophers. That's not the Torah approach. That's not the Torah approach. It's not. It isn't. It just isn't. It isn't. So, so the idea is that today on Lagba Omer, what happened? The students of Rabbi Akiva stopped dying. The plague ended. All right, so now let's put all of these ideas together right now. So the, the plague stopped today. Today is the day of... Um, of the Yurtzeit, the, the day of the elevation of the soul of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai says, is quoted, puts in the, in the Talmud the following teaching. Better to jump into a fire, right, into a furnace, than it is to publicly embarrass another person. Better to jump into a furnace than to publicly embarrass another person. 
So, so that's what this rabbi was saying. Maybe we have these bonfires today, not just to celebrate the light of the teachings of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, but his teaching that it's so important to be good to one another that even better to jump into a fire than to embarrass another person. Now, that opens up a whole, that opens up a whole vista for us. Because remember, what the Zohar is, what the Kabbalah is, who Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is, is understanding that the Torah is working on so many different levels. Remember, we always refer to the Torah as the infinite compressed into the finite. Right? There's so many different wavelengths that are going on. You know, and it's all compressed down. Like, like, like it's, it's, it's hilarious to me that the Torah... Is, is, is a book that you can hold in one hand. And yet, if you were able to sort of like have a camera which, which measured properly like emanations of light and energy from each letter of the Torah, you can see it like springing up into like different dimensions, right? So how is it possible that God is communicating so many things with just a simple book, with just a simple line of letters? And the reason is because it's operating on so many different levels. We know one of the levels is, is the level of music because there are musical notes over it. There's, there's the language of mathematics because there's an alphanumeric correlation to all the different words and phrases and everything like that. The language of math. All the different languages of nature are being communicated simultaneously, but you have to know how to unpack it. And the greatest of the unpackers was Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. This is, this is what the Zohar is. It's just like plumbing the depths, the deepest, deepest depths of the Torah. Showing us what's there. So, so again, he's bringing this teaching in the Gomorrah not to embarrass each other. Now what's the connection between the secrets of the Torah, revealing the secrets of the Torah, and, and not embarrassing another person? So now this is a very important foundation for all of us. You see, people make a big mistake. They think that there's a direct correlation between intellectual prowess and the ability to understand Torah the best. And it's not true. It's not true. It's just simply not true. They think that the greater the level of the intellectual genius, the more he's going and the better he's going to be able to understand the Torah. It's simply not true. And I'll tell you why it's not true. Because intellect is just one personality trait. All right? There are, there's a full range of personality traits. And the thing is, is that in order to plumb the depths and understand exactly what the Torah is saying, right? Or to get a taste of what the Torah is saying, a person has to be in harmony. A person has to be balanced. A person has to correct their personality. Otherwise, if they're just an angry person, right, all they're going to read into the passages is anger. <laughs> Basically, their own flawed personality is going to boomerang off the page, and that's what they're going to say. But if they're in a place of peace, and they're in a place of just a, what we call yashrus, just a, a place of real balance, then they're going to be able to access those things. So, so again, 
a lot of that is how we behave with each other, that sort of interpersonal connection. So someone who's very careful not to embarrass another person, that's someone who has like, uh, is on the road to having a very proper personality, and that's the type of person who's going to be able to dig out the secrets of the Torah. Okay, so that's, that's one point. Another point is the following, which is that all of us have secrets. All of us have secrets. All of us had, have hidden depths, is what, is what I mean to say. I'm not talking about, oh, you know, I stole a car when I was 19 and no one knows. I'm not talking about those kind of secrets. I'm talking about the fact that on a very deep level, all of us are on some very deep level unknowable. Not only unknowable to each other, but even in a, really the deepest sense, unknowable to ourselves. You know? And, you know, when we talk about fulfilling your potential, if someone were able to write down on a piece of paper what my potential is, I would be very happy. I would probably have a nervous breakdown, but I would, I would also be very happy for the clarity of it and say, okay, well now how can I actually get there in an ordered, measured way, you know? But the thing is, is that I don't even know what I'm capable of. You don't know what you're capable of. We don't know what we're capable of. So, so this is what I'm saying on a very deep level. We're even mysteries to ourselves, you know? So, so the idea is like this. You know, there, there, there's a quote from the novelist Vladimir Nabokov that, that I always like, where he was referring to uh, literary critics who he wasn't so crazy about. And, and he said to one, please don't understand me too quickly. <laughs> and I always, I always like that, you know? You know, so, see, the problem is, is that we're, we're so quick to understand another person, you know? And, and Reb Shlomo said, my, my Rebbe, Reb Shlomo said something so central, which is that, that when we ate from the tree of knowledge in the Garden of Eden, right? It says right in the Torah itself that that's what brought death into the world. Okay, so why the tree of knowledge? What's the correlation between those two things? Because if someone says about another person, oh, I know you, I know you so well, I know the next thing that you're going to say, I know the next thing that you're going to do, that's literally the death of the relationship. It's the death of the relationship. You know? So, so one of the ways, again, to correct our personalities and to have the proper honor for each other is to acknowledge the fact that not only don't we know each other so well, but we'll never be able to know each other so well, and we'll never even be able to know ourselves so well. We can try. We can make real strides in it, by the way. You know, we can make strides in it. We can get close. But, but part of the magic of this, if you will, if you'll allow me to use that word, part of it is because it's, a, it's what's called a receding horizon. Now, I don't know if you know that phrase. Um, the horizon is that line. Imagine you're standing on the beach and there's the ocean in front of you. And then at a certain point, there's a line where the ocean hits the sky. The sky and the ocean meet. That's called the horizon. So you want to hear something interesting? If you get in a boat, right, if you were able to measure where that is, like somehow you're able to measure. Let's say you measure that it's 10 miles, right? If you get in a boat and you go 10 miles, you'll find that the sky meets the ocean 10 miles from there. <laughs> 
you'll never get to the point <laughs> where that actually, where what you're seeing is actually there. It's always what's called a receding horizon. And I think that our own potential is a receding horizon. Our own selves are a, a, a receding horizon. Because the, the, the thing is, is that the more we accomplish, the more we open up within ourselves and the more light we bring down, the more we widen our vessels to be able to hold ever larger outpourings of light. You see, I'll give you a, a, a very good example of this in the Torah. It says that the choice of the Avos, meaning to say that the, the greatest of, the, of our forefathers was Yaakov. Okay, we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, so Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, that Yaakov was the greatest. And why? Well, for a bunch of reasons, but, but basically because Yaakov was able to integrate the paths of, of Abraham and Isaac. So in Yaakov, you, not, you didn't just have Yaakov, who is awesome, beyond awesome, but you also had Abraham and Isaac all in Yaakov. Okay? So he's the culmination. Now, at a certain point in his life, God gives him an extra name, Israel. That's, where, that's why we're known as Israel, because of this extra name that God gave to Jacob, right? And what they say is, one of the opinions is, is because at that point, he had actually fulfilled his potential. And so he needed a whole other mission on top of it, because your name is your mission. You know, if you want a description of your soul, it's your, it's your Hebrew name, right? And if you delve into your Hebrew name, you can find out certain things about really who you are and what you need to, to do in this world, right? So your name is your mission. So why did he get that extra name? Because he had done such an amazing job of fulfilling his potential that God said, okay, here's, here's an extra, here's extra to do. Here's even more to do. Because remember, God is infinite. God is never going to run out of things for us to do. Right? That's an aspect of his infinity. But the good news is, is that when our soul travels into the next world, it, it you know, don't be afraid of being bored. <laughs> you know, it, because an aspect of God's infinity is that it's, it literally never stops. It literally never stops. Um, so I want to tell you something, which is, uh, you know, just kind of a historical note. Someone told me this one time, I forgot who, many years ago, but it made a big impression on me. In terms of, you see, again, talking about Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, and, and Kabbalah and mysticism and, 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 and these depths and things like this. Why is it so popular today? And, um, and, 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 and historically speaking, what, what used to happen is that, uh, that you would have to be married and um, the age of 40 and have like some sort of stability in your life before you were even allowed to learn any of these mystical concepts, okay? It was really held off for the end of someone's life, okay? that they had to learn all of the revealed aspects of the Torah before they were actually to gain admittance to teachers who would teach them these type of things. Now, people who don't know the first thing about anything can tell you about the spherot and like the, how the heavens are sort of like organized and everything like that. Like, how did that happen? You know, this is like the most secret knowledge for, you know, a couple of thousand years or longer. And it's like, it's all upside down. How did that happen? So, so the thing is, is that, you know, basically, I think on some very deep level, God is, you see, 
You know, when, when it comes to like giving over something to someone, have you ever like met people who like they'll give you every single detail in the world, but then they'll kind of bury the main point of the whole thing? You know? And somehow it's all about the details and then you and then well, but wait a second, and then and then or a, certain, a person gets or good people who get raised in terms of certain details and things like that, but then they miss the bigger points in life, right? We all know people like this. You know, Reb Shlomo used to say this all the time, refer to people who, who are getting everything right and everything wrong at the same time, right? That he would say it over and over again, it's possible to get everything right and everything wrong. Because if, if the whole soul of the mission if the whole soul of the mission isn't intact and isn't in the forefront of a person's consciousness, then it's very possible just to, 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 to get it all right and get it all wrong at the same time. You know, I once heard from Rabbi Weiss in the name of the philosopher George Santayana uh, a definition for fanaticism. So he said, what's a, what's a, remember, Santayana is, 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 is famous for that... Um, those who forget the past are condemned to repeat it. That's often quoted. He, um, so, so anyway, he, he, he defined it a, a fanatic as someone who redoubles their efforts as they forget their initial mission. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Someone who redoubles their efforts as they forget what it is that they were trying to accomplish to begin with. Right? I'm sure some of these like wacko Muslims think they're trying to bring peace to the world. And what are they doing? Blowing up people in pizza shops? Are you serious? Are you serious? That's, that's, that's how you're trying to accomplish. I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt that you're trying to accomplish something spiritual and exalted. Right? But let's assume. Let's assume that you actually are trying to accomplish something good. That's how you're doing it? Really? So, so, so the point is like this, somehow, somehow, we're, we're getting the depths first. And then once we understand the depths, once we understand, wow, the world is so deep, life is so deep, my soul is so deep, the Torah is so deep, everything is so deep, okay, so now how, how can I get it right with that? How can I be in harmony with that? So, so people used to learn from the outside to the inside. Now we're learning from the inside to the outside. Right? Because, you know, anyone can throw on, like, very religious-looking garb. I mean, it's a level to be able to do that, and I'm not knocking it. It can be very beautiful. But ideally, it's, a, it's, a, it's an expression of the beauty and the, and, and, and the stuff that, the inner work that's gone on, right? Because otherwise, there's a, a disconnect, right? You know, I'll tell you an interesting story. A teacher of mine from Jerusalem, you know, there are, if you, if you see, Torah scholars will often wear long coats, right? It's like a, and that's, kind of was the style of Torah scholars in like the 1800s and maybe even earlier, and you still see it today. So in Jerusalem, and for sure you see it in Jerusalem, 
And so this teacher was really like growing like amazingly and it was getting like lots and lots of students and it was, you know, I was one of his students, he had an amazing teacher. And so he thought maybe, you know, maybe it's proper for me to put on, start wearing a long coat, right? So he went, he went up to a more senior uh, elder and he said, what should I do? Like, should I, should I wait to do that or should I do it now? And he said, if you're even debating it, do it now. And listen to what his logic was, a very beautiful logic. Because if you wait later, you're going to think that you deserve it at that point, And there's going to be an aspect of arrogance to your donning that rope. If right now you don't even think that you deserve it, now's the time to put it on. Because you'll still be, you'll be assuming that with a level of humility. And, and that's the proper way. Right? Isn't that beautiful? I think that's, I think that's really beautiful. And so, so the outward garb, the outward garb is, is, is cool. It's definitely cool. But, you know, it doesn't always mean in today's day and age, for better or for worse, that it's correlating with the, with the inside work. Right? The inside work is the, is, is, is the main thing. Right? And, and getting it right. And then, God willing, all of that is part of like understanding like God's vision for for humanity and for the world and for the future of the world. And when we get all of that down, then we also want to be vessels that are reflecting that level of completeness in terms of our actions, right? We want to be good to each other and be able to do as much as we can do, right? So, so with this in mind, listen to the following. Just because I'm always struck by this because it's so, for me, it's so surprising. Reb Shlomo, and now this is going back maybe maybe 30 years, um, mysticism and, you know, Hasidus and all the rest was already very big then. And, and, and he had, they, he had, they had a panel discussion at the Moshav in Israel. Why is mysticism so big right now? You know? And, and, and Reb Shlomo, I heard him say this, he said, I'm going to tell you what my, what my answer was. And I always like this a lot. He said, he said, the reason is because, you know, we've got this, this phenomena today called Bali Chuva, which um, means basically people who are returning back to Torah, back to, back to our roots and things like that. And, um, and so, 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 so Bali Chuva didn't necessarily grow up or didn't grow up in a Torah observant home. So, so Reb Shlomo said, you know, all the Bali Chuva who are studying mysticism, why? Because deep down, they know that their parents are holy. And, but they didn't see it reflected in their actions necessarily. But they know they must be holy. So there must be some hidden aspect of holiness. And so that's why everyone is so interested in hidden aspects. Because they know their parents are holy. Isn't that interesting? Like, such a surprising answer. Such a surprising answer. You know? So, I, I'll tell you, I, I had a moment, I'll just share it with you. It was, it, was, it was just this very deep moment, which somehow kind of like is speaking to all the points that we've been talking about up until now. 
which is, I was at Meron, I was at the, 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 uh, the, the burial place of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai on Lagba Omer uh, a number of years ago. I flew in special from the United States to be there uh, for that day. And it's this awesome night, and I think, you know, over the years, this was more than 20 years ago, it's gotten even bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And, um, and anyway, along the side of the road, maybe, I don't know, maybe 20 yards from the actual grave, there, was, there were these two guys, and I, I want to say that they were Russian, because they had these, like, Russian fur hats on, and they were playing the electric guitar, and with a little amplifier on the ground that was like the size of a, I don't know, half a loaf of bread, you know? And the whole thing, and they had like this overcoat on, the whole thing looked like incredibly like eccentric, but very eccentric in a way that you would photograph for some like indie fashion magazine. <laughs> like it looks so cool, but it was like, you've never seen that look before. And the music that came out was there was so much distortion to it, but they were playing this unbelievable, like simple, but amazing groove that was from, I guess, some Breslover kind of like composer. It was fantastic, basically, you know, just so simple, but every chord was just like, you know, just like opening gates. And there was like a small crowd of people around them, and I was one of them, and at just one point, uh, I took someone's hands and started dancing with them. And so it was me and this guy who were dancing, and we were dancing like for like a while, you know? And, uh, and I opened my eyes at the end of this like thing, and I saw that the person who I was holding hands with had Down syndrome. And I hadn't realized that at any point. Like, and we were like dancing together like for a like, pretty long time, you know? And somehow, somehow that just like uh, underscored the whole day for me, you know, which was that just the hiddenness of everything and appreciating the hiddenness in each other, right? And that we'll never know. We'll never know. Um, it talks about, it talks about, uh, that the end of days, basically, like the next era that we're going to get into, basically, that no eye has seen it, that we, we, can't, we can't even fathom it. See, one of the teachings of Judaism, and it sounds like a little bit of a bummer when you first hear it, but then you like think about it and go, oh, whoa, that's actually amazing, is that we don't really get reward for our deeds in this world. Certain ones we do, but for the most part, they're saved up until the next world. And why? And the answer is because the reward for one thing, even one thing, is so great that it literally doesn't fit into this world. Can you, can you fit an elephant into a thimble? Right? Because we're talking about different dimensions. We're talking about completely different coordinates, spatial coordinates, completely different dimensions. That's where our soul is going. That dimension literally doesn't fit into this world. So, so our sages teach that, that, that the way to go through life is to understand that, that have you, I think we've all experienced this, where we've been to a banquet, and they've got like hors d'oeuvres, like you see this at weddings a lot, where you've got like the main hall with all the set tables, right? You've got all the circular tables and everything like that, and the doors are closed, 
right? No one's allowed in. But you've got all these hors d'oeuvres on the outside, and then at a certain point, right, maybe they'll blink the lights or chime a bell or just make an announcement, the doors open and then you go into the banquet hall. So that's what they say, is this world and the next world. That's what they say, that this world is like, basically these are all appetizers. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you think, these are the appetizers. Have you ever been to someone's house for like a meal and then like the, you think the appetizers are the main course? And then you're like, what? There's more? <laughs> like, I wish you had told me. I wish you had told me I wouldn't have like stuffed myself on all these like, you know, sautéed mushrooms, you know? It's like, it's like, so, so, so the sages are telling us, you know, chillax, you know, like, these are the appetizers. Pace yourself. These are the appetizers. And then you've got the banquet hall, which is this next dimension. And um, when you read, when you read the Torahs, of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, or any of the Hasidic masters, any of the greats, you experience in your soul a knowledge that all of these other dimensions exist. You know, you know that it's true. You know that it's true. Um, because you experience it. And all of us, I think, have had moments where we know there's so much more to life than just what I'm seeing with my eyes. You know? And that's the deepest truth. And... The interesting thing is, is that science is telling us this now, you know? Like, there was a while before where just things under a microscope, people would like be like, you say that this exists and you can't see it? That's, what are you, like, uh, superstitious or whatever it is? But, and it's sort of like, and then they started showing people that there are things that exist that you can't see with your eye. And that there are things in outer space that we didn't know existed because we couldn't see them with our eye. So, so we know that there are dimensions beyond, and the fact that we haven't seen them with our eye proves nothing at this point, because science is constantly proving how much we don't see with our eye that exists. And there's an exactitude to it all. Like, can you imagine? I'm going to give you... What's your phone number? Is it okay if I only give you six digits? <laughs> or nine digits? No, I kind of need all the digits. Oh, you're gonna, there you already have so many digits. <laughs> you're telling me like one number, one extra number is actually going to change the whole thing? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, there is actually a precision to reality. There has to be, because how can there be so many parts and for it not to fall apart? Right? You, you must know from like, from, from, mm -hmm. from, from recipes. Like if you like leave out an ingredient... Right? I went, uh, my daughter's taking a trip uh, today, so we went shopping last night. And uh, there was a strange moment because while she's buying like protein bars for the trip, you know, I was like in the vodka section. <laughs> I was like, you know, <laughs> we're out of vodka, you know? And I saw one flavor. It was uh, uh, absolute... Uh, Orange ginger. No, 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 apple ginger. It's like, yeah, I'm getting the apple ginger vodka. You know, like, but one ingredient. One ingredient. One number. One personality trait. One phone call. So in this week's partial, we'll just wrap it up. 
In this week's Parsha, God promises us so many blessings. And um, and then comes the, 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 the not so much, right? If we don't get it right. And one of the surprising things is, 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 that, is that Hashem says that if you act toward me with randomness, meaning to say, if you think, he uses the word carry, which means sort of like, like that everything is accidental, right? That there's no order, that there's no real shape to everything. That if you act toward me with randomness, now if you ask me to fill in the other side of that verse, what's the, what's the conclusion of that? If you act toward me, says God, with randomness, I would think God will say, well, I'll show you that things aren't random, right? So that's not what it says. It says, I will respond to you with even more randomness. <laughs> in other words, if you think everything's random, if those are the eyes that you're going to experience with the world with, I'm going to magnify that and make everything seem even more chaotic and even more random to you. Very surprising. Very, very surprising. So what's the... Uh, antidote to that, to see the oneness in everything, to see the oneness in everything. And remember, remember, how do you access the, the truth of the universe is the oneness of the universe. We say, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, God is one. The truth of the universe is the unity of everything, okay? Now, the gematria for Echad is number 13, which is also the numerical equivalent of the word ava, which means love. So if you want to see the oneness, the way you see the oneness is by, by loving. If you love, you'll unify. You'll see, you'll be able to knock down barriers and you'll see the oneness that exists in the world. Okay? All of us are trying. All of us, almost by definition, haven't gotten it right. Right? That's just, that's the bottom line, you know? Rib Shlomo said, you know, we believe, we Jews believe in reincarnation. And we believe that, that basically all of us have been here before. And Rib Shlomo referred to this world as a hospital clinic, a big hospital clinic. Everyone's here to fix something, right? So, so that's an aspect of seeing the world with love. Because if you're starting off with, I'm broken, you're broken, we're all broken, so. You know, so, what it, so like, does it make sense to say, oh, your, your, your fender is hanging off, but my, my you know, my, my brake light is smashed, so I'm better than you. <laughs> you know, your fender's hanging off, my brake light is smashed, you know, so. That, that kind of puts us pretty much in the same place with each other, you know, so. So why don't we just help each other out then? You know what I mean? If we're all broken anyway, let's just help each other. Um, so, you know, I'll just, I'll just tell you the, 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 just a couple of quick stories. Probably mentioned them before in the past, but as Rip Shlomo would say, they're good to hear again. Just to see the level of precision that, 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 that the world is operating with. If we just have the eyes to see it. And I just mentioned this because I was just thinking about it yesterday and it just always blows me away. Um, so how precisely is God running the world, you know? So um, a few years ago, I was in shul, it was Friday night, 
and I was just kind of standing there and I was just kind of thinking and I thought, wow, you know, this week, this is the anniversary of my keeping Shabbos. And I thought, okay, so how many years has it been? So I did a calculation. I said, okay, it's been 20 years. I said, okay, so what's, how many Shabbos is that? What's 20 times 52? And I said, okay, that's um, 1,040, uh, right? So that's 1,040. I was like, oh, wow, 1,040. And then it hit me. I was like, I almost collapsed. That week, that week, I had started a new job at 1,040 North Las Palmas. That was the address of the office that I had started work at that week. All right? Now, you know, I remember telling my wife that, and she said to me, I'm more amazed that you realize that than that it's true. (laughs) But let's put that point aside for a moment. How much is going on that we're not even aware of? That's what, I'm, that's what I'm trying to say. And then I'll give you another example, which still blows me away. I was talking to uh, this person. I was telling her this uh, teaching from the Torah. And it was all revolving around one key word in the, in the verse. Right? It was a whole complicated Torah. But it was something that I felt that she needed to hear. And she heard it and it, 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 it helped her. She felt strengthened by it. A couple of days later, I realized that key word was the gematria, the numerical equivalent of her name. And she has two names. It's not like it wasn't like a simple name. So, what do we know? What do we know? I remember I, when I, I was good friends with someone in second grade. And in third grade, we were like best friends. And then years and years went by and we didn't see each other. And then... You know, we saw each other on Broadway and 79th Street, and we had met in second grade, and we were so happy to see each other, and it renewed the whole friendship. Right when we saw each other, and like we like had that moment of like a reunion, on the other side of the street, walking by, was our second grade teacher, who I don't think I've seen since second grade. Now, I'm amazed that we even saw her and recognized her. So the reason why I'm telling you all these things is how much of this stuff is going on that we're not even aware of all of the time? And this this is the opposite of randomness. And believe me, I can tell you from my own experience, the more you look for these things, the more you'll see an order to the world. You know, and as we talk about all the time, the world has a very strong structure, but we're mysteries to each other. And because we don't understand why you said that or why you didn't say that or why you did that or why you didn't do that, because we're mysteries to each other, we project that on the universe and say, nothing makes sense. But that's, that's, that's an incorrect logical sequence. No, it does make sense. We're mysteries to each other, but that doesn't mean that we inhabit an environment or a universe that doesn't make sense. It does make sense. It is evolving towards something. We are key players in affecting that outcome. 